All right, good morning, Central Church. Thomas, you ready to go? Rock and roll right now. Good morning, everyone. If you're watching us online, whether that's our Facebook Live page or our website, we're glad you're joining us. Uh, those of you that may be in the concourse right now, thanks for, for worshiping with us this morning. All of you that are here live, great to see you this morning. I have a special guest this morning uh, that I want to introduce. My granddaughter, Faith, is here. Faith, come on up. Come on up. Come on, come on. And the reason this is cool is because, as you guys know, my family is scattered all around. I have a son in California, daughter in St. Louis, daughter in Houston. Uh, this is one of the grandchildren in St. Louis. Um, and for some weird reason, they don't come here. Uh, you, know, I, you know, I don't know if it's the 40 mile an hour winds or the cold or whatever. So we go see them. But this is a rare occasion when Faithy and her little brother Russell came to see us. And I get to go to the daddy-daughter dance tonight with Faith for the first time I've ever had a daughter or a granddaughter here. So that's really cool. Thanks, Faithy. <clears throat> All right, we are in a, a teaching series called When. It's, called, it's a study in the book of Psalms. It's called When because each individual psalm answers the question, what do we do when we encounter certain situations in life? And we're, we're going to look at Psalm 68 this morning. If you have a Bible, please take it out. Uh, if you need one, there's probably a Bible in the seat back pocket in front of you or under the seat if you're up front. Psalm 68 answers the question, what do we do when the challenges of life are stronger than us? What do we do when the challenges of life are stronger than us? Let's pray. Lord, even as people just heard me say that, they're identifying with it because they're involved in a challenge, a trial, or a struggle that is overpowering them. They're, they're in a struggle that they don't feel they can overcome. And so, Lord, as we think about what that is, we pray this morning, Holy Spirit, you would open our eyes and our ears to understand Scripture. That as we look at Psalm 68, we would be encouraged with hope that with you, we can find victory in these areas. In Jesus' name, amen. I can't handle this anymore. I'm done. No, not with this sermon. Some of you, that would be great, Jeff, if you were already, already done with that. No, we've all felt that happen. Some of you, uh, us have said that. Whether it's dealing with prolonged loneliness or grief, having lost a loved one. Whether it's enduring a lifeless or a stale marriage. Whether it's dealing with a, a really difficult child, maybe a special needs child. Maybe you're a single parent this morning and you are trying to manage the rigors of a household by yourself. Maybe you're dealing with chronic pain. Maybe you're just dealing with the, the drama of your relational world and you're done. You're done with everything that comes with that. I was teaching six periods of high school Bible at a Christian high school in Southern California. I had three prep periods, meaning I'm three different classes I had to, to teach. I was finishing up, I had just finished coaching volleyball. I was heading in, I was coaching basketball at the current time. I was the, the chaplain, uh, the chapel coordinator for the school. And my family was 1,800 miles away. Shirlene and the kids were in northern Illinois where I had been ministering. And I had moved back to California to take this teaching job. I was waiting for the school year to end so Shirlene and my son could join us in California. The night before, our athletic director had scolded me for a decision that I made that he didn't agree with, and I was done, ready to go back to Illinois, ready to just leave where I was. 
The next morning, I'm walking in the hallway, as I did every morning, and a colleague greeted me, said, hey, Wheels, how you doing today? And he expected the pat answer, the wheels answer, oh, I'm doing good, man, living large, living the dream, walking the victory of Jesus, how are you doing? And I didn't give it to him that day. I said, I'm not doing well. And for the next five to 10 minutes, I just vomited all over him, telling him that I, I was failing as a parent, failing as a husband, failing as a teacher, failing as a coach, and I felt like I was failing as a spiritual leader on campus. See, I hated that moment because none of us want to be perceived as a failure. So what do we do? We, we hide our struggles because we don't want people to get the idea that, that we're struggling or that we're failing. So we work really hard to give the impression that we have our life together when we don't because we see struggle as failure in life. And nobody wants to be perceived as a failure. So when, when we come to church, we come to church and we act like our marriage is healthy when it's not. And we show up at church and we act like our family is good, but it's not. And, and we act like <clears throat> we're not struggling in sin, but we are. And we act like we're happy, but we're actually depressed and lonely and angry. Because we, we, we see struggle as failure. So we do everything we can to hide our struggle. But what if? What if God led us intentionally into challenges that we couldn't overcome by ourselves, so we'd learn to depend on Him? What if struggle was actually part of God's plan for you. How would you look at it then? As failure or part of the process? Psalm 68 answers the question, what do we do when the challenges of life are stronger than us? Psalm 68 is a tough psalm to interpret. It's difficult as you read through the, the 35 or so verses of that psalm, what the context is, in other words, why are they writing this? It's not very clear. As, as I've studied this, I see, I see a journey. I see the writer tracing Israel's, <clears throat> excuse me, Israel's journey <clears throat> through the wilderness, beginning at Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai was where God met with Moses and gave him the law. It's where God instructed Moses as to how the tabernacle should be built. The tabernacle was the temporary tent of worship that the children of Israel had in the wilderness. Psalm 68 seems to trace this journey from Mount Sinai into Canaan or the promised land where the tribes were settled and then all the way into Jerusalem when David took the Ark of the Covenant and set up a tent of worship in Jerusalem. That seems to be the flow of the psalm. So as Israel journeyed through the wilderness, they encountered all kinds of challenges they, they encountered opposing nations and armies that were brutal and far superior to them. Remember, they were coming out of Egypt and they were slaves for 400 years. They didn't even have weapons, let alone they weren't trained for warfare. So they were sitting ducks for any army or, or nation they came up against in the wilderness. They came up against severe weather, both, both heat and cold. There was, there was scarce water supply. There was no ongoing food supply and wild animals. 
And God led them through the wilderness. God intentionally led them through that direction so that they would learn to depend on him for everything, for protection, for food, for water, provision of every kind. And so it is with us. God leads us into challenges in our life that are bigger than us and stronger than us and challenges that we can't overcome apart from him. So as you journey through your wilderness, as you walk through your desert, let me ask you this morning, what is the Psalm 68 challenge that you are dealing with? What's the opponent that's stronger than you? Psalm 68, we're going to read most of the psalm. Uh, I'll tell you when to skip to other verses, but 68 verse 1 begins this way. David says, Rise up, O God, and scatter your enemies. Let those who hate God run for their lives. Blow them away like smoke. Melt them like wax in a fire. Let the wicked perish in the presence of God. But let the godly rejoice. Let them be glad in God's presence in the wilderness. See, as, as, as Israel journeyed through the wilderness, they could be glad, they could praise God because he was with them and God is with you right now in your wilderness experience. Let them be filled with joy. Sing praises to God and to his name. Sing loud praises to him who rides the clouds or literally rides through the desert with his people. His name is Yahweh. His name is the Lord. Rejoice in his presence. Skip down to verse 7. O God, when you led your people out of Egypt, when you marched through the dry wasteland with them, the earth trembled and the heavens poured down rain before you the God of Sinai, before God, the God of Israel. You sent abundant rain, O God, to refresh the weary land. There your people finally settled, and with a bountiful harvest, O God, you provided for your needy people. Notice God is providing all through the wilderness and even into the land of promise, their provision, what they needed, everything God was providing for them. Skip down to verse 17. Surrounded by unnumbered thousands of chariots, the Lord came from Mount Sinai into a sanctuary in Jerusalem. Skip down to verse 19. Praise the Lord. Praise God, our Savior, for each day he carries us in his arms. Amen? As he walked them through the wilderness, the 40 years of of wandering in the wilderness, God was carrying them. God was with them. God was providing for them. And today God is carrying you in this challenge, in this trial, in this difficulty that you are walking through. He's carrying you in his arms. Uh, Verse 20, our God is a God who saves. The sovereign Lord rescues us from death. Skip down to verse 24. Your procession has come into view, O God, the procession of my God and King as he goes into the sanctuary. This is a reference to David when he brought the Ark of the Covenant with all of the singers and dancers. He brought them in procession into Jerusalem to, to give a resting place to the Ark of the Covenant. Singers are in front, musicians behind. Between them are young women playing tambourines. Praise God, all you people of Israel. Praise the Lord, the source of Israel's life, or literally the fountain of Israel. Skip down to verse 28. Summon your might, O God. Display your power, O God, as you have in the past. Verse 32. Sing to God, you kingdoms of the earth. Sing praises to the Lord. Sing to the one who rides across the ancient heavens, his mighty voice thundering from the sky. Tell everyone about God's power. His majesty shines down on Israel. His strength is mighty in the heavens. God is 
awesome in his sanctuary. The God of Israel gives power and strength to his people. Praise be to God. The Lord's blessing on his word this morning. So how do we overcome life's challenges? Whatever your challenge is, maybe I didn't mention it, maybe I did this morning. I want to suggest four ways that we overcome the challenges of life. And the first is this, you have to admit your weakness. You have to admit your weakness. God will never give you more than you can handle, says God nowhere in the Bible. You won't find that verse. You'll find a verse in 1 Corinthians that says God won't allow us to be tempted uh, with sin beyond what we're able, but will give us a way of escape with that. God will certainly empower us to overcome sin, but nowhere in the Bible will you find anywhere where God says, I won't give you more than you can handle. In fact, I think in this story today, God led them into the wilderness to face things that they, they couldn't handle on their own. Things that were bigger than them and stronger than them and more difficult, and they didn't have the resources to handle it. So verses 1 and 2 say this. David says, rise up, O God, and, and scatter your enemies. Let those who hate God run for their lives. Blow them away like smoke. Melt them like wax in a fire. Let the wicked perish in the presence of God. That's not an original quote from David. That's a quote from Moses that David is referencing. It's a quote from Moses back in Numbers chapter 10. Here's, here's the context that Moses said that. Whenever the Ark of the Covenant set out, let me stop and explain that. So remember, they were camping in the wilderness and God was moving them along on a journey. And so they would set up camp and then God would say it's time to move and either the pillar of fire or the pillar of cloud would lead them away. So they had to pack everything back up. They had to pack the tabernacle back up with the Ark of the Covenant. And then they'd begin to move and then God would tell them where to stop. Whenever the Ark of the Covenant set out, Moses would shout, Arise, O Lord, <clears throat> and let your enemies be scattered. Let them flee before you. <clears throat> and then when the ark was set down, when they came to their destination, he would say, Return, O Lord, to the countless thousands of Israel. What is this? It's a prayer. It's Moses admitting the weakness of Israel. It's Moses saying, Hey, God, when we journey out into the wilderness, we are going to encounter nations and armies that we can't handle. We're going to encounter things that we can't handle. So if you don't go before us, if you don't lead us out, we are going to be doomed. So Moses is admitting the weakness of Israel. And then, Lord, when we get there, come back and be in the camp with us and guard us and protect us. Moses is simply admitting the weakness that unless God shows up, unless God goes before them, they're, they're not going to make it. And that's what it means to admit your weakness. It means to come to the Lord in the place of prayer and say, God, I can't do this on my own. A couple of weeks ago, I gathered our, our whole staff team together. And I said, we have a problem. The problem is that, that we are experiencing numerical growth here at Central in the last few months at a rate that we can't keep up with. Our, our ministries are, are strained under the weight of the increased flow of people. And I said, we, we, we need to be honest about that and, and we need to talk about that. And so I started hearing from our children's ministry team and our student ministries team saying how we don't have the volunteers to cover this. We don't have the resources to cover this. People are coming in, but we don't, we don't have the means with which to take care of them. And I said, you're right. We don't. We're, we're in a situation now where we can't handle this situation. But I said, let's just pull back 30,000 feet and take a look at this from God's perspective. So this is growth that God is bringing. 
God has led us to this place because the church can't control when we grow and when we don't grow. That's something God does. God brings the growth in any church. So we are here facing this situation because God brought us here. God led us on this journey and now we are in a situation facing an opponent that's bigger than us that we don't know what to do with. But let's be clear and let's be honest. God led us here. If God led us here, he's got a solution for us, amen? If, if this is God's plan and this is God's leading, then God has a way for us to understand what to do. We just don't know yet what it is. And when we may not know for a while exactly how we're to handle this. So this puts us in a place where we have to admit our weakness before God. God, you've brought us here, but we're kind of powerless to change our circumstances and to make this happen. And maybe that's where you are today. God, you led me here. This is a significant problem. I don't have the resources to handle it. I, I don't have the, the know-how to deal with this, but I'm trusting God that you do. And so we, we admit our weakness. The second thing after we admit our weakness is we have to ask for God's power. We have to ask for God's power because if you don't admit your weakness, you won't ask God for his power because you're gonna be like me. You're gonna, you're gonna try to do everything on your own. You're gonna think that you don't need God. You're gonna think that you can handle this in and of yourself. And so you don't humble yourself, you don't acknowledge your weakness before God, so you don't seek him out in prayer. Psalm 68 is, is filled with verses that talk about the power of God in the wilderness. The power of God when they're facing enemies that are bigger than them. Let's walk through a few of those verses this morning. Praise the Lord. Praise God our Savior. Let's just stop there. It's a wonder to me that they can praise God in the midst of that problem. And that's laced throughout the entire psalm. Praise the Lord. Praise the God of Israel. Praise the God of strength. Praise God. Why? Because God's got this. God led you here and God's going to lead you through this and you're going to see his victory in your life. So praise him. He, each day he carries us in his arms or literally he daily bears our burden. Isn't that good news with whatever you're facing today? He's carrying you. He's your source of strength. He's walking with you through this. Our God is a God who saves in the wilderness. The sovereign Lord rescues us from death in the wilderness. But God will smash the heads of his enemies, crushing the skulls of those who love their guilty ways. God's going to protect us from our enemy. Praise God, all you people of Israel. Praise the Lord, the source of Israel's life or the fountain of Israel. Summon your might. Oh God, let me go back. The fountain of Israel, interesting. There's no water in the desert. So, so God literally was their fountain. God literally was their source of life. They came to a place where they realized, we will die, God, if you don't provide everything that we, if, that we need. If you're not the source of life, we're gonna perish out here. And the sooner we can come to that place where we realize, I need God desperately in this situation. He's the fountain of life in the desert. Summon your might, O God. Display your power, O God, as you have in the past. God is awesome in his sanctuary. The God of Israel gives power and strength to his people. Praise be to God. There, there is no challenge, there is no trial in your life right now that God is not stronger than. That's the hope that we have in our life. It doesn't matter how big the enemy is. It doesn't matter how difficult the challenge. God is always stronger. That's our hope even in the wilderness. So, so we read scriptures like 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, that says, greater is God in us, greater is he who's in you than he who's in the world. Then Satan and all of his plans, all of his demons, all the things the world throws at you, God is greater than that, amen? amen. 
So no matter what you're going through, no matter where you're walking in the wilderness, God who is in you is greater than the challenge that you're facing. How many of you guys know the Apostle Paul and when he, when he was in ministry in his life, he had something called a thorn in the flesh. Anybody remember that? Paul struggled with a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what that was. Scripture never tells us exactly what the thorn in the flesh was. Some believed it was a physical disease. Some believe it was a person opposing the work of ministry or several people opposing God, uh, Paul trying to plant churches and do the work of ministry. We don't know exactly what it was. But Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Here's what we read. So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Now, Paul had had a vision of heaven. And so he said, in order to keep me humble, uh, God allowed this opposition or this thorn in the flesh to, to you know, attack me and to, to plague me. He says, so three times I begged the Lord to take it away. I felt like it was impeding my progress. It was keeping me from doing what I needed to do. Each time God just said, my grace is sufficient. My grace is all you need. My power works best in what? In weakness, in humility, in admitting that you need help, in not boasting in your own strength. That was God's concern there, that Paul would boast in himself. And so God says, my grace is all you need. My grace is sufficient. My power works best in human weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. Paul says, I'm going to embrace my weakness. I, I'm going to own up to my, I'm going to value my human weakness because when I'm weak, then God is strong. When I admit my weakness, God can show his power. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When I'm weak from a human perspective, when I acknowledge and admit my need for God, then I'm strong in him. In other words, when I admit my weakness, I can experience God's power. When I recognize that I can't change my spouse, when I recognize that I can't change my child, when I recognize I can't change my circumstances, whatever that is, when I recognize that I can't save anyone, when I recognize that I can't heal myself, then I will pray. Then I will seek God. Then I will seek a power beyond my own. And when I pray, God shows up. When I'm weak, I'm strong. When I'm humble and seek God, that's when the power of Christ can work in and through my life. The Bible says God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Did you know when you walk in pride and self-sufficiency, God is actually opposed to you? God is not going to work in your life when you think you can do it all on your own. But it's when you admit your weakness and come to God and seek him for his power and his strength that you can begin to experience the power of Christ in that challenge in your life. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. So, so a few months ago, and this is my story, th this pride thing, this, this desire to not show weakness or struggle in my life, to, to not give any indication that I'm failing. And so I had four physical problems that I was dealing with. One of those had to do with my voice. I was having some kind of um, allergy sinus thing that about every three weeks or so, three or four weeks, it, it would go into my throat, be, be like a cold, and then 
it would start Thursday. I mean, just look at the, the pattern here. It would start Thursday, kind of weird. Then Friday, it would get worse. Then Saturday, I've almost lost my voice. I preach Saturday night. By Sunday, I'm wiped out and can't even preach. This is what I do for a living. I talk. I preach. And so I'm doing this for months. The cycle just continues. And one day the Lord said, do you know that this is an attack of the enemy on your voice? And I'm like, duh, I didn't realize that. And, and so I, I've been just trying to handle it. I'm going to handle it. I'm going I'm to push through it. I'm going to bear it. And so I went to the elders. And I said, hey, guys, this is what's been going on. And just sort of humbled myself and admitted to them that, like, I, I, don't, I don't know all that's happening. There, there was my, my voice and some other things. And I said, would you, would you lay your hands on me and pray for me? And they did. And I went to my life group. And I humbled myself and said, hey, guys, I've got this going on, and I, I really think it's an attack of the enemy. Would you pray for me? And when my life group, come on, when my life group laid their hands on me, elders as well, the power of God that was so strong in that room as they prayed for me was, was unbelievable and undeniable. I mean, I just, I, I just felt when, when I'm weak, then he's strong. And I just allowed myself to kind of be vulnerable. And in the last couple of months, those things have just kind of disappeared. Just, just, kind, of, just kind of went away. And that's not, that's not my M.O. My, my M.O. is to carry my own burden. My M.O. is not to you know, give the appearance of weakness in my life. And so <clears throat> in this psalm, we learned that you, you admit your weakness and then you ask for God's help. Moses asked for God's help in the wilderness, and you need to ask for God's help and rely on him in the wilderness. As I read the story of Israel, there are times that God intentionally led them to things that were way stronger than them. He delivers them from Egypt, and he leads them to the shore of the Red Sea, and there's no way for them to cross the Red Sea, and the Egyptian army is coming behind them. God led them there. What are they going to do? They can't do anything. So they look up to God, and God parts the Red Sea, and they walk across. God says, I want you to go in. I want you to go into the, in the promised land. The first city I want you to take is Jericho. So they go into Jericho and they look at these walls that they can't scale, these walls that are so thick they can't, they can't break them down. And God says, walk around the city seven times. You're right, you can't break these walls down. On, on, when they walked around seven days on the seventh day, the walls came tumbling down because God led them to a place that they couldn't handle on their own. God had to do it. God says, I'm going to bring a Savior. He, he appears to a young teenage girl, Mary, and he says, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, you're, you're going to carry the Messiah. And she says, wait, I've never had sex with a man. He says, that's okay, God's going to do it. See, we, 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 what we say is impossible is not impossible with God. All things are possible with God. And we have to humble ourselves and allow the power of God to work through our weakness. The third thing is we have to anticipate God's guidance. As we walk through the wilderness, we have to anticipate God's guidance. And by that, I mean we have to expect that God is not only going to talk to us through this, but God is going to guide us and tell us where to go. God's going to lead us. Here's what we read in verse 33. To him who rides upon the highest heavens, which are from ancient times, behold, he speaks forth with his voice in the wilderness. And then David adds emphasis, a mighty voice. I think the New Living Translation says his voice thunders from the heavens. There, there were, we, we had our grandkids, I mentioned uh, the other night, and there was a thunderstorm. Well, you, you can hear thunder. I mean, it's clear, it's obvious. It, it, it's loud outside. Sometimes it feels like the house is shaking a little bit. It, it's unmistakable. We hear it. And David wanted us to know that when you are in the wilderness and God begins to speak, it's like thunder. It's so clear and obvious. You're not going to miss it. You're not going to miss the direction of God if you're looking for it as you go through this challenge. 
How many of you parents taught your kid to drive a car? Just lift your hand up. Wasn't that a pleasant time? I found in my experience there are a couple of scenarios. One is both parents, when they're doing this, are extremely calm and peaceful and patient and and give loving instruction. Sometimes both parents do that. That's usually not the case. Usually there's one. There's one parent that's calm and able to help their child learn without overreacting, and the other's a train wreck. And you don't want that parent teaching you to drive because they're like, stop, you're going too fast. Blinker, I said blinker. Look in your mirrors. And they, they terrorize their child who never wants to drive with them again. So raise your hand if you're the calm parent. Just raise your hand this morning if you're the calm parent. So now we know who the other one is. Okay, that's good to know. So what do you do when you're teaching them to drive? So you're sitting in the seat, and, and they start inching a little too close to the car in front of them. You, you just say, hey, just, just back off a little bit. You need to give yourself a little more room. If they don't, if they don't turn their blinker on, you, you remind them, hey, bl- turn your blinker on. If they, if they make a, a turn too fast, you say, hey, slow down a little bit before you get to that curve. Look in your mirrors. Check your blind spot. You're reminding them of all the things they need to be a good driver. Is that important to you? Yes, it's important to you. Why? Because their safety's on the line. So you want to make sure that they get the message, right? So what do you do the next time you're in the car with them driving and they don't do those things? Do you just sit there quietly? What do you do? You remind them, don't you? Because it's important. Oh, remember we talked about blinker? Remember we talked about blind spot? Remember we talked about getting too close to cars, right? Because you want them to do it right. It's like on prom night, right? You sit down with them. And you lay the law down to them. You tell them what they're going to do and what they're not going to do. In fact, you grab them by the cheeks and you say, repeat back to me what I just told you, right? I want to make sure you got this. So there's no excuses. There's no miscommunication here. You clearly understand what I'm asking you to do, what I'm telling you. We do that because we love our kids, don't we? We do that because their safety is important to us. And so does God. So you're walking through the wilderness. You're walking through a desert challenge. David says his voice is like thunder. His voice is loud enough for you to hear and clear enough for you to distinguish. He's going to make sure you know the direction you're supposed to go because he wants you to do it right and he wants you to be safe and he wants you to have victory over that in your life. So how does God do that? I don't know. You might be sitting in church. You ever been sitting in church and God just hit you over the head with something? He just tells you something, or maybe someone calls you on the phone during the week and says, I don't know if you were thinking about this or not, but I just wanted to offer this suggestion. You're like, whoa, that's exactly what I needed. Or you're going through your week, and two or three times through different sources, God says the same thing to you, the same message. You're you're like, oh, I get it, God. You're trying to teach me something about that. That's how clear it is with God as you go through this difficult trial that you don't know how to navigate. You don't know the way around it. God is going to speak clearly and guide you in the process anticipate his guidance and the last thing is we need to announce God's victory we need to announce God's victory so God leads us to challenges that are bigger than us God gives us the power to walk through those and the guidance to navigate them so that you have a story to tell so that you can announce what God did in your life during that difficult season here's what verse 34 says Tell everyone about God's power. Tell everyone. 
what God's doing. Words from God to us in the desert. What's God doing? Tell everyone about his power. His majesty shines down on your life. His strength is mighty in the heavens. God leads us into situations that we can't handle because God wants to show himself strong. God wants to make his name great through your life. God wants to accomplish a great victory in your life that you can't handle so that you don't get the glory, so you don't get the credit, so everything comes back to God and you just say, whoa, this is what God did in my life. And sometimes we wrestle in our lives with, I don't know how to share Christ with people. I don't know how to evangelize. Pastor always talks about that. They say we're supposed to be sharing our faith. I don't know what that means. I'm not equipped to do that. Oh, yes, you are. Because right now you're in a trial. And right now you're desperate for God. And right now you need to be looking around. You need to be seeing what God is doing. Because when you see what God is doing, you're not going to worry about what God isn't doing. And you're going to get on the positive side of life, not the negative side of life, and complain about everything. You're going you're to look for the fingerprints of God all around you. And you're going to be in your oikos. That, that's a Greek word that means your relational world. You're going to be with friends or family. And if you are careful to listen to the voice of God as his voice thunders in the wilderness, as you are careful to see the power of God that's working around you and his fingerprints, you simply have to say, this is what God is doing in my life. That's your story. And God leads us into these situations to give you a story of his power, to give you a story of his victory, to give you a story of how, how this is what God did in my life to help me overcome. And friend, let me tell you, if he did it in my life, he will do it in yours. Because God is no respecter of person. He cares about you as much as he cares about me. And if you're in the wilderness right now, here's what God does to people when they're journeying through the wilderness. Here's what God does when you face enemies that are bigger and stronger than you. Here's what God did in my life. Here's how he talked to me. Here's how he showed me his power. What is your Psalm 68 story that you are to share in your relational world? What's he doing? I want to ask you four questions as we close. First one's this. What is God teaching you about his character during this challenge? What are you learning about God? As you read the Bible, as you study his word, as you pray, what is God revealing about himself in this difficult circumstance that you're in? Number two, how is this challenge causing you to grow in faith or dependence on God? How is he teaching you to let go of your own ability and to trust his ability? That's your story. Number three, what is God saying to you as you walk through this challenge? Are you listening? Are you anticipating his guidance? Are your ears and eyes wide open? And number four, where have you seen glimpses of his power during this challenge? Oh, friends, God not, not only wants to deliver you, God not only wants to help you walk through the desert to your destination, but he wants to give you a story because your world needs a story, a story of power and a story of hope, and you've got it. Would you stand with me this morning?
Something that's amazing to me is every week at the end of our services, we have people up here to pray. Thousands of people sit in the seats and a dozen or so come forward for prayer. And that just confuses me. And sometimes I scratch my head and say, Lord, why is that? And he says, because they're like you. They, they don't want to be seen like they're struggling. Because if I come down there, they're going to assume my marriage has gone south. If I go down there, they're going to think I'm in some kind of horrible sin. I, I don't want to be perceived that way. And so we turn and we exit. Well, I want to invite you this morning, if you have a need, we'll have some folks up here to pray with you. Would you lift your hands with me this morning? Lord, we are your people walking through a desert dealing with incredibly difficult things. But we're, we're grateful this morning for the promise of your presence. We're grateful this morning for the promise of your provision in the wilderness. We're grateful this morning that you powerfully work in our lives. As we humble ourselves, as we make ourselves weak, we see your strength. Lord, we anticipate your voice hearing from you to know what direction we're to go. And Lord, that you've given us a story. Help us to tell that story this week in Christ's name. Everybody said amen, amen. amen. God bless you.